Over the uh, summer months, we uh, looked at uh, the book of Proverbs in particular and uh, several other places uh, around it, uh, looking at various ways, selected ways, where the Bible calls us to live lives of wisdom, to learn how to uh, make godly choices and to walk in the way of God every day of our life in every warp and woof of uh, the directions that God would take us in. The world is in great need of wisdom, but it is elusive for some, it seems, because there are so many lives that seem to uh, not find their ways to healthy outcomes, to know the strength that is available to them and the joy that can be theirs in the Lord. Have you ever gone uh, looking for something, perhaps around your home or in your office, and uh, had difficulty finding it because of the clutter? Anybody like that? You know, I, I, okay. I think some of you are lying, maybe, or just not uh, willing to fess up today. I only see about eight hands. But um, what I've discovered over life is that there are basically two types of people in the world. There are there are filers, people who are very organized and love everything just right and all the columns and all the things that are filed appropriately away. So you have filers on one hand, and then you have pilers on the other hand, right? People, you walk into their office and they, they have stacks everywhere. And what's amazing often about the pilers is that even though on the surface they may not be as organized as the others, they often know where things are. Just don't touch their piles often is what they'll say. You begin to rearrange things because you think it'll help and it doesn't help. It's just so funny to see. Um, and if you've ever looked for something uh, and had difficulty finding it because there's so much clutter, then you're not alone. Uh, we do that often at our home. Uh, we, we have big tubs full of Legos. Anybody love Legos? Did you play with them as children? Legos are amazing. Uh, I've actually grown a, a greater appreciation for Legos in my adult life than I ever had as a child. But sometimes when uh, my boys are building things, there is a particular piece perhaps where it seems like the whole construction hinges around this particular piece because it's the right shape, it has the right number, of, uh, uh, I don't even know what you call them, the, what are they? Pegs, thank you. And, uh, uh, or it has a pivot or a movement in such a way that is essential for the construction. And there are times we'll dump out our tubs of Legos and we'll go searching through the clutter, spreading them out. Uh, we've, anyway, we could talk about our attempts for organization and things, but it is so wonderful on those times when we actually find the peace that we're looking for. Because then we celebrate and rejoice because that which was lost and unseen in the clutter, moving through the clutter now, is able to help make the construction that's in process uh, a final, um, fulfill what, uh, what is in the mind of the builder. And uh, sometimes it is with Jesus that... Um, the idea of Jesus being diminished in our world is certainly rampant around us. Sometimes Jesus gets lost in the clutter of life. And for a hurting and lost world, that is certainly true. Sometimes Jesus is respected as a teacher, but He's not obeyed as God. Jesus gets diminished. There are some who seek to appropriate His teachings in their life without receiving and embracing the full call of God upon their life, and Jesus becomes diminished. There are some in spiritual communities who seek to elevate spiritual powers 
other spiritual powers above the person of Jesus. And through it, Jesus is diminished. In these three weeks, last week, today, and next week, we are looking at some passages out of the book of Colossians. I invite you to open there again. There was a problem in the Colossian church, too, because the believers there were tempted to diminish the person and the work of Jesus. And there were different ways that they were tempted to do so, according to how the Bible explains it in this letter. There was a desire at times or some teaching in the church that they needed to have strict adherence to religious rules that separated them from the joy and the vitality of the deeper aspects of the relationship that Jesus offered. And Jesus would become diminished. There was a desire, a teaching, or a thought sometimes in this church that, uh, of Colossae that uh, there was, should be a guilty adherence to certain traditions, even if the coming of Jesus uh, replaced and superseded those older traditions. And a third area of struggle for them, where Jesus, it was tempting for them to diminish the work of Jesus, was uh, what many scholars describe as an extreme for, uh, form of asceticism. It's almost as if they were to say, some of them, if we can just approach life with the most extreme form of self-denial and even pain, then that alone might purify us and make us acceptable to God. So these are some of the things that this church seemed to be wrestling with. Always that, that diminished the work and the person of Jesus, who He is and why He came to the world and why it's important for us to continually elevate Him. If we are a Christian church, if Jesus the Christ is embedded in the very name by which we refer to ourselves, then He cannot be and must not be diminished in our eyes, in our thinking, in our hearts, and in our practice and focus of life. Last week, we looked at the verses right before the passage here in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. But in the verses preceding, the Apostle Paul, who writes this letter, offers a prayer for them. He reminds them about why and about what he is praying for this church. And in verse 9, it says that, uh, for this reason, the fact that I, I have heard about your faith and, and your faith is becoming known throughout the world among the other churches and even non-believers, he says in verse 9, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. What we aimed at last week was to understand that on the heels of our summer series, looking at now, wisdom isn't just some random idea or concept of life. It's not just a theory or approach to living. Wisdom really has a source. Wisdom really has a name, and the name is Jesus. And so this morning, instead of diminishing Jesus, we see in our passage that we'll read just now, that Jesus, instead of being diminished, Jesus comes shining through. Jesus is the one who shines through into the world, into this church, and into your heart and mind. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, the Scripture says, He, Jesus, 
is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus comes shining through. Jesus shines through, Paul reminds us, because he was part of the creative chorus that spoke creation and all that is into existence. I want to ask our children in particular, uh, if you're familiar with the C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, now I know Chris is, it's one of his most beloved series of books. But if you've read, I believe it's in The Magician's Nephew. I remember reading it, but I can't remember where I read it. Um, well, in all of the books, there is a central character. I want to ask our children, do you know who the central character, do you remember the central character in the Chronicles of Narnia is? The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Aslan. Thank you. That's right. Aslan is. Now, it centers around some children. It centers around their life and uh, this great journey. They go on an adventure. But the central character is Aslan. And you see in the first book, depends. there's actually two ways of counting, two ways of counting the series. But uh, So I, let me stop and not say the first book. But the book titled The Magician's Nephew, it's actually the prequel to The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and describes how the wardrobe finds its way into our world. And it's really interesting. But I believe it's in that story that uh, you get a picture of Aslan at the creating moment. Aslan, of course, is the Christ figure, the, the one present over overarching in the story, underneath the story, and holding the story together. And you see Aslan at the, the moment where the, the planets were spewed forth into existence and emerged out of nothing. And he does it with a particular descriptive way. Does anybody remember? He sings it. Now that's kind of an interesting thought, isn't it? First, to see a lion not just speak, but to sing. But to think about who the lion is representing. And thinking about Jesus standing... And his voice joining the creative chorus, Jesus participated in the creation event. Jesus is not to be diminished because Jesus has always been as part of the triune Godhead, Father, Son, Spirit. We've sung about that this morning. Father, Son, Spirit, one God in three persons. Jesus the Christ was at and spoke out creation. He participated in the creative events. Both things that, that we can see. How many of you this morning on the way into this place saw gray clouds? Yeah, a lot of us, all of us. Did you notice them? Are you longing for the sun to return? <laughs> we kind of have a late gloomy season this year, don't we? I'm ready for September and October. Give us some good weather. How many of you uh, saw trees on the way in? How about birds? 
Did you see any birds? We, uh, we have in the church parking lot uh, about four times this past week, we have some maniacal mockingbird out there because I've walked out to my car about four different times and have noticed all these little peck marks all over the windshield. Four different days. And I've had to wash it off. And there are times when I'll look out there and I'll see these wings flapping. And I don't know what he's doing, but he's standing on my windshield wipers. And I don't know if he's seeing his reflection, but he is going to town on my windshield. I saw him at another car, um, and he was down at the bumper. And must have been doing the same thing because he was jumping up, pecking at it, pecking at it, pecking at it, and doing no good. But uh, I don't know what he was attempting to do. But have you guys noticed? Yes. (laughs) It is so funny to see. But uh, Jesus participated in the creative event. He, he participated in the development of everything that we have and that we can see with our eyes and appreciate. We, we walk on the earth that He Himself created. But He also created that which is unseen. The Scripture says the, the spiritual realm, that which is beyond our visible sight, but it's not beyond reality. It may be beyond our vision, but it is not beyond the reality of the world in which we live. I was asked this past week, I was having a coffee with uh, someone, and uh, I was asked, you know, what, what do I think about spiritual warfare? I said, oh, this is an interesting topic. I don't get that question every day. And so I was able to explain that uh, uh, I believe very, very clearly that the Scripture teaches in a world that is active and vibrant beyond our physical reality. And that there is a world around us that is spiritual in nature, that is unseen, but is very real and very active. Yet, um, we need not be afraid of that world, because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And we went on to talk about the, the armor of God and the covering that comes over a believer in Christ and the protective quality and the, the joy that comes even when there may be seasons of intensified spiritual darkness and attacks. But there is a spiritual world that Jesus Himself participated both in creating both things that are seen, things that are unseen. Jesus as the co-eternal part of the triune Godhead was there at the beginning. Jesus, you see, is not to be diminished. He comes shining through. So when you appreciate that which you see with your eyes or hear with your ears or the smell of a beautiful flower out in nature, I pray that your heart and your mind is drawn not just to the beauty of that which you see, but your heart and mind and thinking, your rejoicing is drawn to He who created it out of His great love and entrusted you and me with its care. Jesus, you see, shines through. He literally reveals God to us because He is God in the flesh. In verse 19, it says, For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him. In Hebrews chapter 1, it describes Jesus as the exact representation of His likeness. In John chapter 1, it describes uh, God's creating event and uh, what was going on and why he, he created what He did and then the coming of Jesus and the Christmas story. You see, God is the image, Jesus is the image, in verse 16, of the invisible God. He makes to us what was once invisible, He makes it visible. He makes a spiritual uh, reality of a Godhead that was invisible, makes it visible through His coming in human form. I, I used to love the way when Pastor John would do his illusions. 
And I think I probably heard him say this multiple times, but uh, through his illusions, his desire was to help demonstrate and emphasize this particular point was that illusions help us understand making that which is unseen seen, that which is invisible visible again. And that's just what God has done in the coming of Jesus, putting on human flesh and blood and bones and walking this earth with His people. When you wonder and ask the question, what is God like? Your answer should start at least with, well, what is Jesus like? If you want to know what God is like, you should start with, well, what do I know about Jesus? How did Jesus interact in the world? What did Jesus say about himself? What did Jesus describe as reality? What did Jesus think and talk about was important as far as values and priorities of life? How did Jesus organize and arrange his life? And how does that speak into my own life? If someone were to ask you, how do you know God? Or what gives you the right to think and to claim that you know God? Well, your answer can simply be that because I know Jesus. I know Jesus because Jesus is the image of the invisible God. We don't need to guess or to simply consider that I think God ought to be this way because this is a particular sensitivity about this issue that I have. That's not the way that we think about God. We think about God, we understand God, and we relate to God because of the way that He has revealed Himself and given Himself to us. And He's done that most clearly in the person of Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. Jesus shines through, and He holds it all together. In verse 17 it says, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. The universe holds together. The gravity that pulls planets around a sun and a different solar system, He holds it all together. He holds His plan of rescue and redemption. He, Jesus, is the one who holds that all together. Because without Jesus the Christ, there is no future, there is no hope, and there is no real story to tell. It is Jesus and His life. Jesus, you see, comes shining through. But there's another way where Jesus can be diminished. There's another way in which people throughout history have attempted to diminish Jesus, and it's very simply this. It is thinking too little about the church. And I don't mean thinking too infrequently. I mean thinking about the church and it's thinking the church is smaller or less um, powerful and impactful than what God intends it to be. While uh, we were walking in New York City a few weeks ago, my first real visit to New York, we were walking through Central Park, and um, as we walked, we were down by a particular lake, a pond of some sort, and we were just kind of wandering around. It, it was a lot of fun. It was, for once, not having a, a destination, just kind of enjoying the journey, right? And so as we walk, we've got a lake on this side. We're on a sidewalk, and then there's a, a, a berm that kind of goes up probably 20 feet or so. And then there's a statue up on the street above. And the statue, as we, it catches our eyes and we turn to look at it, we had noticed uh, a red bird in, in the, the bushes. We were taking some pictures, and the statue caught our eye because it was a man on a horse, and the horse is raised up on its back legs. And as we stood... We've, we looked at each other. We said, I don't see a head on that statue. Do you? No, I don't see a head. 
We're like, whoa, what in the world? And uh, we began to think about, well, what do we know about the Headless Horseman? And uh, we think the story took place in New York and uh, Sleepy Hollow. And uh, would there be a statue of the Headless Horseman right here by Central Park? And so we're thinking, how bizarre. So as we walk up around, we come up the stairs and we walk up on the sidewalk. and We approach the statue and from a different angle, guess what we see? The head. Anyway, it was some person I'd never heard of and uh, some, some connection to a South American country I don't even recall. Um, I, but I, I was thinking, my goodness, what, what a body without a head looks like. It's grotesque, isn't it? It's an unnatural sight because we know that a body without a head is dead. You see, the church is trying to function at times without the recognition and the elevation of Jesus as the centerpiece. And when a church does that, when a church tries to go through its functioning without a a recognition and an elevation and a centralizing of Jesus at the core of who a church is, then it also becomes an unnatural entity and it becomes dead. Here's what the Scripture describes here in Colossians 1 and verse... uh, Verse 18, it says, And Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have the supremacy. That's why the Apostle Paul would say that we preach Christ and we preach Him crucified. Jesus comes shining through, you see, in His church. A church that is described as the body of Christ. A church with Jesus Himself as the head. Because a body and a head must go together. They must be integrated because it's an unnatural reality. If not, it's not living. It's dead if a body is without a head. Jesus is the body of... uh, The body of the... The church is the body of Christ. And Jesus is its head. The church has a message of God's restoring a lost relationship with with His people. Verse 19 says, For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things. So that is the message of the church. The church preaches good news to those who don't yet know or haven't yet embraced the reality of God's gospel, that Jesus has come, He's lived, He's died to pay the penalty of sin. He was raised again to demonstrate He has the ability to actually do what He said He could do. So the church, Jesus comes shining through as the church preaches the gospel, as the church communicates God's good news. Jesus comes shining through as the church embodies the life of Jesus by interacting with brothers and sisters within the community. That Jesus comes shining through. When the church demonstrates to a broken world, a hurting world, a lost world, how in giving your life to Jesus and relating to other believers that God can make others whole, that God can make a, a healing of a wounded life and that God is seeking and finding those who are lost. You see, Jesus shines through. He died in order to open the door for you and me to know Him. In verse 20, it says, And through Jesus, God was pleased to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood 
shed on the cross. He both died and was raised again as the firstborn among the dead. Because now, here's the great thing, death submits to Jesus. Death, the Bible describes as the last and greatest enemy of our life. But in Jesus, we too can overcome death. And we too can be filled with hope for the future that God has stored up for us who believe and trust in Him and have received His forgiveness. You see, we turn to Jesus who shines through. In order to know God personally and deeply, we turn to Jesus who shines through to know inner cleansing and purity. And we turn to Jesus who shines through because He faithfully holds us to Himself. Our task as a church and as individual believers is never to diminish the work or the person of Jesus. But we see that He comes shining through both in the creation activity and in His recreation event in reconciling a broken and lost world unto Himself. Father, this is our prayer this morning, is that You would help us appreciate ever so deeply that You do come shining through And as we drive our cars and we see the beauty of nature or we go and drink in a sunset or listen to the waves crashing on the shore, smell the wonder of a flower growing in a field, we we ask that You would draw our minds up to celebrate You who is the artist behind it all. That we can look to You, Jesus, and know that Your voice was part of the creation chorus that You are the one that calls us both to Yourself and then to humble fellowship with You. We pray that You would help us learn to follow You in all things because we know that our life, our future, and our hope of being with You, which is our greatest need and desire, is fulfilled only because of the work that You chose to come, laying aside the privileges that were Yours, and coming to take on human flesh to live among us, to do the work that only You could do, the work that we desperately needed. And so this morning, rather than having You be diminished in any way in our sight or our heart or the practice of our church, may we constantly put You where You belong as the centerpiece and focal point of who we are as Your people so that we can always glorify You. We can always be a community that worships You in spirit and in truth. We thank You for it. In Jesus' name, amen.